Welcome to episode 636 of QAV. This is the free edition of our show. My name's Cameron Riley. If you're brand new to QAV, welcome. This is a weekly investing podcast that I do with my good friend, Tony Kyniston, who's a very successful investor. He's been doing it professionally for roughly 30 years, and he has a system called QAV, Quality at Value. How do you buy shares in good quality companies when you can get them at a discount to their intrinsic valuation? That's basically what we teach on the podcast. And this week on the show, we're going to be talking about commodity updates this week, which commodity stocks have become a buy and which have become a sell. Tony's going to be doing a deep dive on Air New Zealand. And we're going to talk about a quote from Warren Buffett, who says that if he was dealing with a portfolio worth about $10 million, he reckons he could make 50% return per year. Coming up on the show today. Come on now. Come on now. Anyway. That's not your Twiggy um, Forest impersonation, is it? Come on now. <laughs> Come on so now. good. So good. We'll get to <laughs> FNG News. Market down today by about half a percent. It didn't have a too bad a week last week. Ooh. Recovered on Monday from Friday's down day. But I wanted to talk about commodity updates. When I did the buy list yesterday, Tony, I decided there was a lot of changes in the commodities. I got crude oil as a buy, copper as a buy, aluminium as a buy, manganese as a buy, steel as a buy, LNG as a buy, lithium as a sell. So I had to get rid of the last couple of parcels of PLS that we didn't have to rule one a week ago. Platinum as a Josephine. So I looked at that because I still have my PLS. I must have a lower rule one. And it was close to a sell, but it wasn't a sell today. Well, you're oh, looking sorry. at a monthly, uh, right? Month. So, yeah. Yeah, but I think the September figure is the month-to-date figure. Right. I okay. think. Yeah. I well, I've got the graph, it. But if you look at the gap between months, it's bigger than in September. Yeah. Well, it's just on its cell line, and you know, if anything, I think. Anyway, good enough for me. Screw lithium. <laughs> what has lithium ever done for anybody? Anyway, I sold PLS yesterday. Okay. Well, I probably will this week. I guess the, the more interesting part of that for me is that crude oil is a buy. LNG is a mm-hmm. buy. A lot of stocks, well, not a lot, but a couple of stocks on our buy list that are in crude oil and LNG. So they're back on the back on the radar for us. I don't know if there's any copper stocks mm-hmm. these days, but anyway. Uh, South 32 from memory, maybe. And... A lot of the gold stocks are sometimes half gold, half copper, or partially copper. We've had some of those before. Well, yeah, they're not on our buy list at the moment, though. I'm just... Sandfire was the big one. Yeah, it's not showing up either at the moment. Anywho, moving right along, Warren says he could earn 50% a year on $10 million. Obviously, Jim Simons figured it. So it can be done, or Buffett believes it can be done. Jim Simons did it with his quant stuff. So what does Buffett know that we don't know that he could make 50% a year on $10 million? He's just a better investor than I am, I think, Cam. Are you going to say that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I fully fully acknowledge that. Um, And so was Simons. I think, I'm not sure about Simons. I mean, the question for both Buffett and Simons is, and is how long can they do it for? So Buffett's saying he could do it if he had up to $10 million. Does that mean he gets the $10 million and then sells and stays at $10 million and sells and that's legitimate and he gets a 50% return? That's fine. Simon's 
Simon's may still be getting high returns. I think he shut his fund to outside money eight years or seven or eight years ago. And he made his money from getting into big data before anybody else mm. did. And looking at things like, you know, if a hurricane's off the coast of Florida, what does that mean for Walmart shares? That kind of thing. So putting together, I wouldn't say non-logical, but on the surface, uncoordinated bits of data Mm -hmm. and then profiting by trading the stocks based Mm -hmm. on that. That's now a big part of what a lot of hedge funds do. So I don't know if you would continue to do that. So I guess, you know, I mean, what I said said last week, which 50% per annum over a long period of time sounds too high to say that. It sounds too high for you and I to get continuously over a long period of time. Right. It's probably a better way of putting an it. Hour, put, putting in an hour a week or a couple of hours a week. Yes, that's <laughs> right. And the other thing too is if, uh, I mean, if I can do it, I guess anyone can do it, but you do have to, they would have to work a lot harder than what yeah. I work. And, and I'm, you know, like Simon, sorry, you know, invested heavily in data servers and hiring PhDs and all that kind of stuff. So it was a big business for him really yeah. in the end. But if we want access to those people, we're going to pay a, a really high price for it. So those numbers would be before fees. Yeah. I know right. Buffett was charging 2 and 20 back when he was a, an unlisted investor, investment manager, which means that he took 2% to run the thing and then 20% of any profit. So 50% drops a lot, but it's still a great return. So I'm not going to say you can't do it all begrudging from that. And you can, you can see it. Similarly, if you go and look at the Berkshire Hathaway annual reports, he always puts the the long-term per annum returns for Berkshire Hathaway, that didn't start in the 50s, it started in the 60s. But the first 10 years, you're often seeing 100% return, 80% return, 70% return. It's quite large and also quite volatile, to be to be mm. fair. Well, yeah, and again, I encourage anyone who thinks they can get those returns to go out and do it and then come and tell us how you oh, did yeah. <laughs> Yeah, teach us. Yeah, yeah exactly. come back and share the share the wisdom with us. But again, I, I and don't say crypto. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I was just looking at Bitcoin, man. Bitcoin's up nearly like eighty percent since the beginning of the year. I mean, it's still down eighty mm-hmm. percent from where it was two years ago. But you, know, <laughs> you want to ride the lightning? No, but I get the the amount yeah. of time and effort that you put in. I think is a key thing. Like, yeah, if you want to work Ooh. eight hours a day, eighteen hours Ooh. a day on investing, you probably should get better returns than somebody who puts in an hour a day mm-hmm. on average as you do. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It's, and that's the trade-off. Yeah. And that's a big part of it. I mean, yeah, no, exactly. I, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not sure I would get, you know, it's almost like diminishing returns. The more you put in, you don't necessarily double. If I put the double the hours in, I don't know if I get double the returns. Really? I might, but you can work a long time with investing and not improve your returns. Yeah, but like, you know, we've had guys on the show that run funds that go out and meet with managing directors of firms mm-hmm. and they get to see the numbers and they pick it apart. They understand the sector and they understand the the competition and they get down into the economics of the business and they know who's who in the zoo. We don't really do that. Yeah, I think. No, we don't plan to do that. Now, I'm not even sure if we did that, it would make a big difference. Buffett doesn't do that. He quite famously lives in Omaha to avoid doing yeah, that. Right. Doesn't want to talk to the people running the but business. But he used to. Yeah, or to Wall Street, or to analysts. No, well, no did. he did. It, it, it is in the book about him. Berkshire Hathaway, he went and met with the guy that owned Berkshire Hathaway and negotiate, negotiated a deal with him before he took it over, right? Well, the full story is he, he bought a stake in Berkshire Hathaway. I don't know if he actually talked to them beforehand, got on the board 
and then was upset with the way the company was being run and then decided to buy them out, made an offer. I think the chairman had agreed a particular offer and then reneged. And they were only talking about half a cent or something different than the price. And Buffett said, stuff you and went out and launched a takeover and bought it all. So yeah, I don't think, I don't know if you would have met with the, anyone Berkshire Hathaway before and he's before buying his initial. Well, I, I just remember in his the early part of his investing career, when no one else was doing it really, no one else outside of you know Ben Graham was really, and he wasn't even really doing it the way Buffett was doing it. He was more of a professorial type, but Buffett was saying that it was amazing to him that if he went and knocked on the door of managing directors of these companies and said, hey, I want to talk to you about your company because I'm thinking about investing in it. They were like, what? Sure, come in. You know, he's this young guy who wanted to know how their yeah, business works. You know? mm-hmm. It happened in a couple of cases. And I think it was Geico was the famous one where on a Saturday afternoon, he wanted to learn about insurance. So I ended up on the door of the Geico's building and the CEO was the only person working who answered and spent the afternoon telling him about insurance. But I don't know that Buffett did that. Right. And there were plenty of funds around at that time. I mean, you know, Wall Street was awash with funds, which is one of the reasons why it crashed in 29 so badly. So there would have been heaps of analysts meeting with companies around that time. Okay. Um, anyway, it's, it's probably a moot point. Yes, you could, you could potentially meet with companies like Jeff Wilson does at Wham, always on the road. His returns aren't 50% per annum. So yeah. I'm not sure that's a, necessarily the thing mm-hmm. to do. It's more likely, I think, if you put a gun to my head and say, how, how would you get higher returns? I'd say concentrate your bets, you know, find a, find something you really, really, really like and put everything into yeah. it, you know, yeah. and then ride the volatility. Yeah. And that's, that was going to lead, so that was going to lead me to an article that was in today's Livewire about this very, very topic where a company, I think it was called Alpha Architect from the States did research on, just trying to find my notes, the returns for for companies across the deciles every five years. So by that, I mean, they took the the five-year returns of companies listed in the US, ranked them from top to bottom in terms of the biggest CAGR, and then broke them up into 10% bangs. So the highest 10%, and their analysis went back to 1927, the highest 10% achieved, if you could pick the highest 10% at the start of the five-year period, you would get 30% 30% returns CAGR since 1927. So even if you were investing with hindsight and you knew at the start of every five-year period what the best performing stocks were, the top 10% of stocks, you're only getting 30%. And, and part of that reason is because of the, of the volatility. So there's lots of big crashes, even in the top 10% of stocks along the way, and then they recover. So to, to me, the thing that that, that, that I pulled out of that quote you gave me was that Buffett said in there somewhere about he's always fully invested. If I was running a million dollars today or $10 million today for that matter, I'll, I'd be fully invested. So I think that's the key point is, is you, you're going to get volatility, but don't try and time the market and sell out when it's low and buying when it's high. Yeah. And they, and they also, these, these people, um, Alpha Architect also pointed out that even if you'd bought Amazon when it listed, which is probably one of the best performing stocks in the US, it's achieved 33% CAGR over time. So to get as high as 50, you've got to be doing something more than just buying a, buying a good company and, and investing in it. Full pork time, Cam. As I said, Air New Zealand, a bit of foreshadowing there. Mm. 
Now, I'm a little bit worried about this, Tony, because I just added them to some of our portfolios yesterday, and oh, I know it's already uh, very close to its sell line. It was just above the sell ooh. line, and I thought I'll take a punt on it. Didn't know you were going to do a pulled pork on it, so that could be the death knell of it, but let's see how we go. Gird my loins. Yeah, pulled pork. All right. So it's our New Zealand code is AIZ. I often think AMZ, but that's the bank, so it's AIZ. And as you said, it's just above its sell line, only like by a cent and a half when I last look. Reasonably sized business, ADT of $344,000. So that's not too bad, but it's dual listed. So listed in New Zealand, listed in Australia. Uh, and also the New Zealand government is still a big owner of this company. So it tends not to get much trading from the big instos. So the... Even though it's an ADP of 344,000, there is that big shareholder sitting there um, and that kind of tends to keep people off the register, but it should be big enough for most people. A couple of things I wanted to say about it. I mean, I think people are familiar with who our New Zealand is. Uh, it's New Zealand's flagship carrier. Uh, they, I, I was interesting to go through their results and announcements and uh, to think about how they compare with Qantas, compare and contrast with Qantas. Uh, They've reported in their most recent results that uh, they've got the last half anyway has had lots of tailwinds in their business, as it has with Qantas. So uh, they're getting back up close to pre-COVID, but they're saying post-pre-COVID levels of profitability, et cetera, and sales. But they're saying post-COVID, they've seen some impacts which are which are going down, which are, sorry, well, the impacts are lessening. So the customer demand is increasing. Post-COVID, there, there has certainly been some constrained market capacity because a lot of airliners mothballed their planes or at least put them out in the desert where they wouldn't rust over time. So they're, they're still all to come back online. And there's been lower fuel prices wait, um, wait, wait, in the wait, second wait. half of F23. What, what, what deserts in New Zealand are they putting planes in? Not in New Zealand, but over in Nevada. You Google, Google the plane graveyard, there's a... There's deserts in Nevada or Death Valley or somewhere around there where they, they put these planes. There's just rows and rows, like fields of, of 747s and right. Airbuses all sitting there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And something they're saying, not Air New Zealand, but some other market players are saying they may not come back out. They're just going to buy new planes instead. So there is a constraint on the number of seats available in the air at the moment because of that. But And it's certainly going to be a part of both Qantas and Air New Zealand going forward that they've got to upgrade their fleets and, and find new leases. And that's one of the issues that the, they called out. I think the interesting thing on the day of Alan Joyce's retirement is the guy who runs our New Zealand is, is named Greg Foran. Anybody who's been investing as long as I have, with, that might trigger a memory. So Greg Foran, it's either Foran, F-O-R-A-M, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Foran or Foran. He was in line to run Woolworths a long time ago maybe 15 or so years ago, and was passed over uh, for a guy called O'Brien, who um, was more of, I think, a strategic guy rather than an operational guy. Um, and that's a whole different story, again, about how well or, or not strategy managers are at running big companies and ex-consultants ex, uh, at running big companies. Um, asterisk, they're terrible at it. <laughs> that's the footnote. Anyway, but foreign... Thought he, he was hard done by and no future was there in Woolworths and went across and ran Walmart in China and did a good job and then went to the States and ran 
I think well, they call him CEO of Walmart, but I imagine by looking from my knowledge of what he did, he sounded more like CEO. But anyway, he was either number one or number two at Walmart and did a really good job there. Uh, Walmart was on the skids there for a while when, before he took it over and he cleaned up the stores and made sure the stock was always available and did a few initiatives like curbside pickups and stuff, which have seen Walmart return to its its rightful position. I think the Walmart shares are up about 30% this year or something mm. in the US. Wow. Anyway, he was a Kiwi by birth. So he surprisingly resigned and left Walmart a couple of years ago and might have been three years ago because he, I think almost on the first day of his becoming the CEO of AA New Zealand, COVID hit and he had to deal with all of that. So it was kind of a baptism by fire. Doesn't has, I did a Google search and couldn't find out if there were any reasons why he came back. There was some analysis from some trade magazines in the States that said there was some friction between the guy who ran the internet division of Walmart and foreign forums. Like, who knows? He may have just decided he wanted to go back to New Zealand and raise his family there. May didn't so, agree with but that, didn't agree I with guess, Twiggy's big vision. Wasn't on board. Wasn't on board with the big vision. He, he saw it. He saw Twiggy's big vision and said, yeah, not for me. <laughs> um, not big enough. Anyway, I, the, it's a long way of saying, I think, yeah, New Zealand are very privileged to have this guy running their, their business. He's a, he's a top class, experienced, a globally experienced CEO. And I would expect, even though he's, he's probably getting up towards my age, I would expect to, you know, to see New Zealand uh, run very, very strongly and well with him at the, the helm. Anyway, so let me go through the numbers of um, Air New Zealand. I'm using a share price of 77 cents per share. It's greater than the IB1, and we don't have an IB2. And, and as I've said before, I like situations where we don't have any sort of uh, consensus forward guidance for a company. It means that people aren't watching it. So it's, it's, it's good for us small investors to be able to um, get a stake before the, the big people uh, muscle in. Uh, I think the reason for that is because the government owns so much of our New Zealand, and that's oftentimes something that that uh, fundies won't like. Uh, I looked up Stock Doctor, and it said, "You'll like this, Cam." It said that the num the largest shareholder was Her Majesty the Queen in right of New Zealand. And Stock Doctor is actually saying they own fifty one percent. When I was googling doing my research, somebody else said forty nine percent. And Stock Doctor may be right, or this other person may be right, but it's around half is owned by the New Zealand, or Her Majesty the Queen, who is now dead. So I don't know how she's the owner, but the New Zealand government anyway owns half of, approximately half, did own it outright. They've been selling down for the last decade or so from 100% down to 75 and then progressively from there. But I think fund managers would quite rightly see that if they bought a reasonable stake in Air New Zealand, they wouldn't have a controlling interest. And I would think that even though the New Zealand government is selling down, they're probably going to be focused more on things like service and making sure there's good route coverage across New Zealand for regional airports being serviced by, you know, aircraft and, and enough flights rather than making the last buck for shareholders. So that would be the view I would think of most large instos. I don't necessarily share that view or I certainly see enough positives to go with that negative, the New Zealand government is is also going to be there to do what the Australian government is doing at the moment, which is to run interference for 
heavily subsidized other international carriers from getting a toehold in the market. Whether that's good or bad, I'm I'm kind of on the fence on that one. I think it's 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 important to have a have a controlling stake in in being able to provide a service. But there's a point where it becomes so expensive to fly that you may as well allow other people in and erode the national carrier just in, to, to get better deals on on flights. Um, so it's always a bit of a bit of a um, two edged sword that one. But uh, but certainly having the government as a as a major shareholder would mean you'd expect that they wouldn't be allowing Emirates, Qatar, etc. to come in and and um, take over large market shares. Anyway, back to the numbers. The they haven't been paying a dividend since COVID, but they actually have announced a special dividend of six pence, six cents per share. And I'll just highlight the fact now that I think that the stock goes ex-dividend in two days. So what's today? It's now the fifth, and I think it goes ex-dividend on the seventh. So if you're interested in the dividend, get in quickly if you hear this in time. But I think probably the better news is that apart from that sort of makeup for the fact they haven't been paying dividends for a while, they forecast they're going to pay between, have a payout ratio between 30 and 70% going forward. So they will start paying dividends again, um, which is something I like to see. Obviously, no owner founder. Although when I was living in New Zealand, someone tried to convince me that the, the New Zealander made the first powered flight in the world before the Wright brothers, which I always found hilarious because New Zealanders like to claim every discovery in the world first. So it's always an interesting discussion over a few beers. Anyway, that's an aside, but no owner founder, no, no uh, consensus forecasts, which I said is good for us. It's hard to say whether this is the lowest PE or not, because there's been no profit since COVID for this company. So it, it, you know, we can't score it as the lowest PE, even though it's, it's the only PE, but it's hard to do that. As you'd expect, no increasing, consistently increasing equity because they've been living off their cash during COVID. So all in all, a quality score of 70%, which is still pretty good, and a QAV score of 0.45, so it's cheap at the moment. It's rebounded from its lows probably three or so months ago, and, but be careful because it's just above its, its sell line. A couple of other things. I think the positives for this company are definitely the CEO. I think the negatives, I mean, I, I struggle to see whether I would put the government ownership in the positive or negative camp. But certainly if you were an Insta, you'd probably say it was a negative because of the misalignment of objectives. But I think there are some positives, as I said. And yeah, all the normal ones that we spoke about with Qantas in the past about fuel. And I think they're, they're forecasting that they have either hedged or they're expecting a price for fuel. I think from memory, it was a dollar, yeah, a dollar five US per barrel is what they are using to forecast. So that will be a key metric to watch if you're a New Zealand investor. Is the fuel price? If the fuel price goes above that, it uh, would probably be affecting their forecasts and therefore probably their profits. If it stays below that, you probably can expect a better than expected profit. But that's the average for the year, and they quite possibly also hedged around that. I know that they hedged their the New Zealand exchange rate to the US dollar to make sure that 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 doesn't affect what they pay for fuel and and other costs, I guess. And they're also and they're hedged for fuel, so. I think 50% was the number from memory, which is you know, probably pretty standard for, an, for a, an airline because historically the airlines have been negatively correlated to the oil price. In other words, when one goes up, the other one goes down in terms of price because it's such a big cost for them. The other thing they called out in their, their um, results presentation was that their costs have increased by 16% across the board just due to inflation. So 
that has got to be a negative going forward that hopefully will come down, but it may also be um, a squeeze on their margins going forward. So anyway, that's our New Zealand. Um, interesting, um, interesting little company. I have owned it in the past. I don't own it now. But when I saw who was running it, I thought big tick from me on that one. Good stuff. Well, let's hope you're right on that because we own it. And as you said, it's really close to the sell line. So let's see how it goes. Yeah. I always enjoy flying That's with Air New Zealand, I've got to say, although they did sort of calf, calf sort of do the dirty on me a couple of years ago, last year, but uh, that's all right. What'd they do? Well, I bought, the, we were flying to the US and I bought these special seatings that, you know, like, say you could lie down, I can't remember what they called it, paid extra for some sort of lie down type. Premium, but, premium economy? Was it? Premium economy, that was it, Yeah. But we couldn't actually use it for some reason. And I asked them about it and they were like tough. So thought they'd no, that's not good. do me a favor. I can't remember what the deal was, but there's something we paid for it, couldn't use it, and they wouldn't give me a refund. They said, you know, tough titty. So anyway. Yeah, that's but apart from that. One of my criticisms one of my criticisms of Qantas is the Air New Zealand is in the other Alliance Network. I think it one's called Star Alliance and I forget the other one. And so when I was living in Canada and occasionally flew Air Canada, which were also part of the Air New Zealand Alliance, I would sometimes get on the Air New Zealand League and the planes were great. The service was great. They tended to be much newer planes than Quadras flew. So yeah. I could, you know, I can see that them, that they're fairly competitive in the market mm. with their, their offering. Mm. Nice friendly stuff though, apart from. Actually, the staff on the planes, when I explained that I couldn't use it for whatever reason, they said, oh, that's fine. Just, they gave me a little thing. They said, contact customer support when you get there. We'll make a note of the system. They'll look after you. You'll be right. And then I did that and they were like, nah. So anyway, the staff mm. on the plane were nice though. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week. It runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another... 30 to 60 minutes depending on how many questions we get it's where tony answers questions from our club members if you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a qav club member which is access to the checklist and and the bible and uh, the private facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have invites to the dinners zoom calls etc etc sign up for the two-week free trial and check it all that stuff out you can do that at qavpodcast.com.au look for the um, free trial button there and if you like the idea of value investing qav style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to learn how to do qav for yourself think about signing up for qav light that's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus. And then where are you? But while he's not, we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episode. And if you have any questions, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. 
QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. Thank you.